This is Suzanne York with Humans Optimized. We specialize in change management for technology adoption by bringing together advancements in technology with elevated human skills. Our aim is to cultivate human-to-human and human-to-technology collaboration. This combination will allow us to take advantage of the immense opportunities in the future of work. 2020 tested our ability to handle disruption, stress, and uncertainty. Everything about the way we live and work needed to be reevaluated. Whether we intended to or not, that experience has allowed us to gain valuable skills in many of the areas that were predicted to be keys to success in the future of work. Well, that future is now. Ira Wolf, founder of Success Performance Solutions and president of Poised for the Future Company, joins me today to talk about adaptability, Googleization, and bringing forward the good from 2020. Ira, thanks for talking with me today. Suzanne, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Well, we're in for a great discussion that goes from before 2020 all the way to 2020 and beyond. And so before we even had that that experience, there were many predictions about which skills would allow us to thrive in the future of work, one of which was adaptability. Well, 2020 abruptly brought this to the forefront, at least for me personally. And when we were preparing for our conversation, I was really struck by your personal mission to unlock the secrets of human adaptability, ensuring no one is left behind living in the fastest period of change in history. There's so much compelling in that statement, and I'd love to know what what energizes you by this and how are you living out this mission? Suzanne, it's, it's a great question, and, and I really, again, I really appreciate the opportunity. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, you know, there, there's a saying um, by Robert, uh, he was an author, uh, Robert Byrne, and he said, everything is in this state of flux, including the status quo. <laughs> and that sort of sums up uh, <laughs> 2020. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, 2020 was an amazing year, and as tragic uh, as the pandemic is, as unpredictable and uncertain, we're, we're still living in, in that uncertain times. Uh, it also was an it also was not totally unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've been talking we, the the pandemic. Um, every hundred years, uh, somewhere around uh, the second, the end of the second decade, for uh, and I don't remember how far back this goes. Yeah. We've had a we've had a pandemic, so okay. we, we sort of took a you know we sort of looked at the human humanity and oh we're smarter now we're we're not like we were <laughs> in in 1918 uh, yeah. and or 1818 or 1718 uh, we're smarter we're so advanced and apparently we're not. Uh, yeah. so, so that was one, but the, <laughs> yeah, but the other thing was, uh, you know, and certainly, you know, I know we'll talk about Googleization, but, uh, many, many people have been talking about the future of work and technology and how the world is changing faster than it ever has before. Uh, but a lot of the predictions that were for 2025 or 2030, uh, took place in 2020 because we had to. That was the only way we can survive. And I I share this with everybody to to say as much as, you know, there's some people that don't like technology and are fearful of technology. And there's certainly a lot of things to be fearful about technology, especially on the ethical side and the utilization of it. But we anticipated that there would be widespread uh, adoption of using technology, uh, more use on the Internet, more remote work. 
than ever before, but it was going to be a gra- something gradual. But then mm-hmm. the pandemic hit, and literally overnight, we went from 2030 to 2020 on that scale. Uh, yeah, because- it was incredible. Yeah, it it really was, and it it and although people stumbled and it was difficult, and it still is difficult. I mean, we still haven't figured out education, you know, how to educate right. people, you know, well remotely. But to, to to consider where we are as a country and as a world, uh, the fact is, if if we rolled, if we went back to well, we could go back fifty years. We don't have to go back a hundred years, and said, what would the pandemic have been like without technology? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we wouldn't be doing this, obviously. No, but this, you know, this, you know, yep. for you and me, this is essential. But this isn't, you know, this is not essential. I mean, we want to get the the news out. But the the fact is, is that we there's there's been a tremendous amount of disruption, but there's also been a lot of activity going on that's normal. I mean, we right. still people are going to work. Uh, people don't go to retail anymore. People don't, we're not taking vacations. We're not traveling, but people are getting around. Um, there's, you know, I mean, again, it's not a good indication of everybody's economy, but the wall, the, 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 uh, uh, stock market couldn't, couldn't think of the word. I was, I was thinking of Wall, Wall Street, but, but the, uh, stock market is doing incredibly well. There are people that are doing well. There are certainly people that are suffering, but there are businesses that are doing well. Um, we also, you know, we're going to have things. We had Thanksgiving. We're going to have Christmas that couldn't have happened without technology. Right. Well, and for much of that technology, you know, I am certainly grateful, like you said, and there have been many things that went uninterrupted. And part of it is we we do assume that this is a point in time that will that's temporary. But some of what we've lived through, I hope, isn't temporary. Some of what we learned, we can't unknow this experience. We can't undo some of the advancements, we, and we don't want to. So what has, from this period, what do you see as something that would be vital for us to continue? That's a that's a great question. So one of the things is that we can't change the. I'm trying to remember who who said this quote, and and again, I, I, I sometimes the, the quotes sum it up as well. I think oh I know I remember it was uh, Frank's Franz Kafka, and yeah. he said something like the world it, in in a bet against me or, or people and the world or humanity and the world bet on the world. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that's sort of what it is. I mean, I, I know there's people that don't like change. We think that it's going to go back to normal. Things are going to slow down. Uh, you know, we need regul we need regulations to control technology. You know, th- these big uh, technology companies. And there's probably some truth in that that we can't let it be the wild, 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 wild west. That's a tough one to say. Wild, right. wild. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we can't outrun the change. We have to learn how to adapt. And so the, the number one skill that, and you mentioned this earlier, that I've been working on, uh, and I've been talking about change for years and years and years uh, in the background. Uh, it's not my full-time job, but in, in a lot of my messages that we have to learn to adapt and we need to learn how to change uh, is going to be adaptability. And uh, it, it's something that some of us are pretty good at it. Uh, there's nobody great at it because, again, t- it, we're all learning. Um, I remember listening to in the early stages of the pandemic back in, you know, seems like an eternity ago, but back yeah. in, back in March and April, 
And I was listening to a lot of the experts. And I remember being on a call. And at the time, it was with uh, Stan McChrystal, uh, who, you know, the general who uh, I think he led the Afghanistan and, and maybe Iraqi, uh, right. one, of, one of the wars. Uh, and also uh, the CHRO from IBM. She, she retired in the midst of this. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, Diane... Um, Oh, I'm just, I'm trying to blank on her name, but that's uh, all right. Yeah. But she, they both said they asked a similar question to what you asked me was asked to them. And, and, you know, they're, they're certainly, I, I will <laughs> say they were a lot smarter than I am. And they both said, we're faking it till we make it. Yeah. You know, we're relying on all the skills we have. Um, General McChrystal was talking about what he learned about logistics, you know, about planning, you know, in, being in a country that has historically been incredibly complex and difficult with with the landscape and the environment uh, uh, and and how they had to protect troops and get you know, get supplies in and out and you know certainly running a company like IBM um, which which is at the which as at the forefront of understanding what the future of work is. They've been working on this a long time, you know, 350,000 yes. employees and everybody looks to IBM of what's the world going to be like in a few years. And the, the one thing that, that uh, general McChrystal had said, you know, is despite all we knew about logistics and moving supplies, there was so much we didn't know and we're all adapting on the fly. What, um, uh, Again, I apologize. I can't remember. It was Gerson or Garrison. Uh, Di- Diane was her first name. I remember that part um, from IBM. Said, you know, the one thing they never took into account when the government said uh, essential workers can come in, but everybody else has to go home. Mm-hmm. They did not know who their essential workers are. Mm. They, they said that's we, a key we, piece of information. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they knew who they thought were essential workers, but not by right. the, the class, not by a I guess a legal or a government uh, type of description on that. Uh, who are the right. people that absolutely have to come in and run the company, or the company shuts down? Uh, they never really defined that. They they had you know certainly management was and some frontline workers weren't, but we we quickly learned even you know with grocery stores and and our healthcare system that frontline workers were the essential workers, not so much even the doctors. I mean, the yeah. doctors were, but, uh, the, you know, the nurses and the paramedics and, and the pharmacy techs and, and everybody else, those were the people that were essential. So one of the things I, I think we learned going forward, or hopefully we learned, um, is sometimes we're, we're a little slow on that, is that people um, of who are our essential workers, what has to be done, what what could be done differently, uh, in addition to that we all have to do it quicker than we ever anticipated because we don't always have a plan. We, it's one of the challenges with this post post pandemic is going to be, I think people are going to take a sigh of relief. True, we need a vacation. We need to catch our breath yeah. uh, before we do it again. That's not the world we live in. There is some other, hopefully not another pandemic, but there's going to be some other crisis. Uh, even if it's at a smaller scale, that it's going to keep us on our toes. So we're right. going to have to learn how to adapt, how to change, how to anticipate. Uh, and mostly, and this has been one of the things, I guess, one of the biggest failures we've seen part of, and we won't get into the politics and the division, but we don't know how to collaborate. 
It is a lost skill, a lost art for sure. And and whether it's another crisis or just the mere rate and pace of change that is continuing to give people that sense of I need a minute to take a breath. You know, that even before the pandemic, that was the the common characteristics of when I work with clients that that I hear from the stakeholders is like give me a minute, give me a minute to rest at the uh, on this riverbank. Um, and so the image that comes for me now that I use with people is we're actually just going from lily pad to lily pad. There's no more resting on the riverbanks um, because yeah, it's a constant a good, flow. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great uh, image. Uh, I mean, to, to to think about what that is, and you're absolutely right. I mean, we're we're not going to have a lot of time to adapt uh, to slow down. Uh, Hopefully, we will have a time to at least catch our breath for a little bit, but then we're going to have to go back into another, you know, maybe not a sprint, but a marathon. We're going to have to keep moving, you know, for 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 nothing else. We're no, we're not going to be able to stand still. Uh, but I'll, I'll, let me challenge you a little bit on the collaboration. Um, yeah. you, you had said that it's sort of a lost art. I'm not sure we've ever learned to collaborate. We've learned how to get along, and we were mm-hmm. able to to figure things out and sort of put aside, you know, let's not talk about our differences. Let's talk about our similarities, but I'm not, but, but when you look at diversity, uh, you know, and, and beyond diversity, when you look at inclusion, not only do we have representatives, but, but we have true, um, symmetry, appreciation, empathy for other people. There were, there were certainly spotlights of that. There were certainly segments of the of people who got it. But universally, I'm not sure we ever were really, really good at collaboration. I think we figured I, it out because we moved at a much slower, you know, pace. And now that it's on the yeah. fly, we have to trust people, and we have to also stand in the shoes of of other people uh, yeah. and see what their world is like. Because without that, we're you know, collaboration is just another buzzword. Well, I I see your point in the modern day definition of that with all the technology and the assumptions we have. To your point, we see the the world through our own lenses and there's many different perspectives. I do think at some point in human history, we were strong collaborators. And maybe that's when we didn't rely so much on technology. Uh, You know, many times I'm asked to come into clients who say, can you help us implement Microsoft Teams or Slack so that we can collaborate better? And my first question is, how are you collaborating as a person? Without the technology, mm-hmm. because the technology isn't going to solve the human collaboration concerns. Yeah, I, and I, I can see that too. Uh, and again, I think it's evolving. It may just be that what we define collaboration even 10 years ago or five years ago or 50 years ago, uh, we, we need to up our game. It's, it's, a much, mm. it, it's, it's a much more sophisticated skill that we need now. And again, I think people go back to, you know, we used to be good collaborators. And or we used to get along. Let's go back to that. And then you you look at the divisiveness in history and you go, well, that depends on who you said was collaborating. Uh, if we go back 50 years, I'm not sure um, uh, people of color, blacks and, and brown people yes. uh, would say, oh, yeah, we were doing a lot of collaboration back then. Sure. Yeah, let's let's go back to that. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't think so. Um, when you look at, um, you know, even even the so- countries, uh, you know, certainly we went to, you know, we collaborated on World War One and World War Two, um, but you know, there was a common mission, a common purpose, which is important. Uh, but you know, was 
was there the level of sophistication? And now it's it's much more difficult. We're not just using planes and ships and bombs. And, you know, now we've got uh, cyber warfare. We have invisible, uh, we have invisible enemies. And so, again, uh, you know, I think just collaborations probably, you're, you're probably right. We probably did collaborate in the past, but it's a different environment. So we have to up our game. Yes, I like that image of upping our game. Um, And I want to go back to this concept of adaptability because I see that as an opportunity to help people better define, well, what does it mean to up our game? Um, So tell me, whether it's collaboration or other words, but um, I'm really fascinated by the work that you're doing in that arena. And you've given me a a great framework to think about adaptability with the five key skills within it. What what are those, if you could walk through it with us? Yeah, so so we'll take a step back because I know you did the assessment and I I hope you'll share with with your listeners, uh, you know, what that experience was like because it is is fun. But through research, again, recognizing that adaptability was going to be a really an essential skill that there's going to be a lot of people left behind. And these were even predicted before the uh, pandemic that there was up to, uh, this is from World Health, uh, World Economic Forum, that they anticipated 375 million people would be jobless uh, mm. within by 2030 uh, because not, not because, well, because they needed different skills, they needed to adapt. Uh, they needed technology skills. Um, uh, we needed different, uh, better technology to reach them, uh, and that included uh, that was a, a wide swath of everything. Uh, and it was predicted in the U.S. that there was as many as fifty to, to hundred million people that that jobs would change. And one of the statistics I like to share with that was is that sixty is about two thirds of all jobs will be one third automated. So say that again, two thirds yeah. of all jobs will be one third automated. So okay. that means one third of jobs will be, you know, either maybe less automated or whatever it is, or, or may, maybe there's a few jobs that won't be seriously affected in the next 10 years. But if two thirds of, of all jobs are one third automated, that doesn't mean everybody goes home after 24 hour, 25 hours of work. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. uh, if they do, they're not going to get paid for it, which is a whole other ball game. Uh, It it means that because people are going to be more efficient and if you come in for a 40 hour week, you're going to have to learn new skills. You're going to have to collaborate. Here's another collaboration that didn't exist before. We should have been obvious. We're going to have to learn how to collaborate with technology. You know, they call it being being a cobot. Uh, mm. it is that we work with technology. We work with software. Software does some of the, the manual thinking that we did. So we, yes, you know, it, humans may have to design the algorithm, but the algorithm is going to do a lot of the, the spreadsheet work, the analysis that we used to do. And then the human's going to pick up that information and digest it and see what makes sense um, you know, are there any biases in it? How do we apply this? What are the ethical considerations? So humans are going to have to be more human, um, but we're going to have to even collaborate with technology. Uh, but yes. going back to that. So when we looked at adaptability, we recognized that there was going to be this massive need. And so there was a, there were a lot of studies that have been done. Um, the one that I'm uh, associated with uh, engaged Singularity University, which is at the forefront of what the future is going to look like. Uh, some of the smartest people in the world are there. 
uh, it it worked with IBM. It worked with the United Nations. It worked with uh, HSBC, the bank, and they they looked at people and trying to identify what how can we help people? Are there dimensions that we can either control or teach people to improve their ability to adapt? And you, so there was three categories. It's, it goes by the acronym ACE, A-C-E. It's abilities, it's character, and it's environment. The character uh, is things like extroversion or do you have a, pos- a positive mindset? What motivates you? How do you solve? What's your thinking style like, your motivating style? So those are not, you know, we're learning a lot about personality. It's not necessarily as hardwired and as set as it was before, but that's probably the most difficult to change. The abilities were skills. And I think that's what you asked. So, yeah. the abil- you know, the abilities come down to things like grit. You know, Angela Duckworth uh, from University mm-hmm. of Pennsylvania has written a tremendous amount about grit. It's it's keeping a focus on long-term goals, having a purpose, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it, it's beyond, well, the other part of that is resilience. So grit is continuing to move forward. Resilience is, hey, along the way, there are going to be setbacks. You're, you're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. And you have to bounce back. When you combine grit and resilience, you bounce forward mm. where, 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 when people talk about resilience, they, it almost, it, they treat it almost like we're weebles. Remember the weebles or, or the, I you know, do, punch, I do. the old punching bags, you know, they fell yes. down, they bounce back, they fell down. And that's sort of what people are talking about now is we need to be resilient yeah. and, and we'll go back to the way it was. We'll go back to normal. Well, well, the, inv- the whole environment's going to change. So the combination of grit and resilience sort of indicates that we need to bounce forward. So that's two. Um, the other one is mental flexibility. I've been talking about mental flexibility in different terms for at least 20 years. Uh, I remember I, I worked with a competency model. Uh, you might be familiar with this, the Lominger model. Uh, yes. and it's still out there. And there were there were two, there were actually three competencies. One was called dealing with uh, ambiguity, which was what happens, how do you make decisions when you don't have all the answers, but you have to make a good decision? Uh, The other one was dealing with paradox. Uh, Dealing with paradox is how do you balance two opposing thoughts? You you ask two experts and you get two different uh, explanations. I, I often describe this, and I just was at a doctor appointment this morning. I walked in and Fox News was on. And I'm listening to Fox News after having listened to other news um, last last night and this morning. And it's like, am I living in the same universe? <laughs> <laughs> was that like the same debate that was on TV last night? Because yeah. I'm hearing two completely different sides of the story. So you could either say in a simple world, who's right and who's wrong? Or you can listen and go, hmm, maybe both of them have something right. And maybe they're something wrong on both sides. That's what we struggle with as human beings. We want binary choices. We want it delivered on a platter. We want to know, is it A or B? Right. We want to close the story. We we don't like it being open-ended. And so that need for closure does cause us to fix fixate on a certain answer and hope that it and want it to stay the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we're sort of living in a world where the choices are A, B, 
none of the above, all of the above, some of the above. <laughs> right. And there's only one choice. <laughs> you know, we, we yeah. which one, which one is it? And and again, so uh, gr- mental flexibility is that dealing with ambiguity, dealing with paradox, and also dealing with complexity. Um, because we are living in a complex world. We're no longer in, it used to be simple, complicated, and complex. And we thought complicated was we still could go A to B, but there was a detour along the way. Now Mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, we're on our way to B, but B doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) There's no way to get there. The, The bridge is out, the air, you know, everything's out but we still need to, to kind of get somewhere. We need to keep moving forward. So it's complex. Right. Um, and the final, the, the other ones are growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, growth mindset was uh, from the work, a lot of the work from uh, Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. Right. And it talked about fixed or growth mindset. And everybody probably relates to this, is that you know, you, you've done well in grade school, you get a pat on the back, you're an A student, and all of a sudden you start taking only courses that uh, – uh, that you can get an A in because you don't want people to think you're not as smart. What happens if you're you're a, a, a genius, but you get a C? Oh, I guess maybe he's not a genius. He's just like the rest of us. So the problem with fixed mindset, and this came from a lot of parents too, is is that they didn't want their child, their children to fail. And so people stop taking chances. And that happens all the way through adulthood. You don't, you don't apply for a job that you, it's your dream job. It's your dream opportunity. But what if I don't do well at it? Right. Okay. You, well, learn from your mistakes, learn what you don't know. Uh, so growth mindset is that opportunity to, to kind of keep learning. Uh, there's no failures in life. There's just mistakes you made. You learn from those. Uh, and then the final one's really, really interesting. And it's called unlearning. Because we heard so much for the last few years about that we need to be on a path for continuous learning. And the unlearning part is, well, where does that fit? Does that just mean we forget everything we know? Um, You know, that, hey, we just did four years of college or high school. And by the time you graduate, you know, that knowledge isn't current. You just drop it. You just forget, do a brain dump. And the answer is no. I heard the best analogy about what unlearning is. Unlearning is like defragging your computer. Now, a lot of people may, may not know what that function is. So basically, yeah, there's a really easy function that says when, when, you, when, you're, when you got this hard drive, you got all this space, uh, it's like having a huge basement. And what you do is, oh, we'll, we'll put, the, put the box down there. Oh, we'll go through that later. And all of a sudden, it's completely disorganized. Well, that's exactly what happens with a defrag. Uh, mm. it, it basically takes all these pieces of information that are dissimilar, says, oh, this is relate, you know, A is related to B. This file is related to that file. Uh, that puts them all in one section. It gets rid of all the archive stuff, the, the duplicates, and they clean, it organizes it and it cleans up Newton's space so we have more room to learn something. Unlearning yeah. is really defragging our brains. Yeah, and I like when I think of unlearning, I think about as we as we learn, <clears throat> excuse me, we create new <clears throat> excuse me, as we learn, we create schemas and we look mm-hmm. to put new information into the schema so that it fits somewhere, whether it's a category or a way of thinking about things. And so for me, unlearning has been about letting go of the schema 
and allowing information to get reorganized in new and different ways. Yeah, that's another great example. And again, it, it's a, it's initially was a difficult concept. It's a relatively new concept because again, for years, you know, at, well, for, at one point, um, certainly when I grew up, it was, you know, you go to college, you go to graduate school, you go to professional school, you have your career. And yeah, you have to take some certification courses along the way, but basically you're set for life. Now, if you start, you know, a freshman, by the time they finish college, a lot, some of the information that they learned in their first two years is irrelevant by the time they graduate. But that doesn't mean that it was like, oh, that was a complete waste of time. It gives them a framework, reorganize it, keep what was valid, make room for something new. And we heard about continuous learning, but eventually your brains get tired, your brains get full. Mm. There's only so much yeah. so much a human being can remember, which is the advantage of a robot, um, which, which is why we work together, because there, it, it's like even addresses and phone numbers. I used to be really good. I knew everybody's number. And then we sort of got lazy, you know, or was it was it lazy or did we unlearn that because, hey, we don't have to remember that anymore. As long as we have our phone, as long as we have that, we've got a number because we'll make room in our brain to do something better with the number than just remember phone numbers and addresses. Uh, yeah. So, again, it's it, the, the five categories were grit, resilience, mental flexibility, growth mindset and unlearning. And the, the wonderful thing about that is that they were, that they are all learnable. Every one of those can be, can be trained, developed and learned and improved. And And that's encouraging to hear because some of them sound more like personality traits, grit, for example. And so to hear that this is something you can build it is a great way for people to recognize you don't have to stay where you are if it's not where you want to be. Yeah. So, so that's a great that's a great example. So grit uh, is is really about focusing on your goals. That's more than that. Mm. It's not just setting goals. But you, I'm sure you're familiar. Many of your listeners may be familiar with SMART goals, which people still yes. don't use. So SMART is <laughs> you know be specific what it is. It's yeah. like oh we want to improve. What do you what do you want to improve? Um, is is it measurable? How will you know if you improved? Um, basically, is it attainable? Is it achievable? Is it something you know? Is it something so far out there that you can't ever possibly do it? Um, the R is is it relevant? You know, is it going to yeah, help it you do something? To- yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean that. And then the time is: what's the timetable? How long are you going to give yourself, or how long do you think it will take? And again, there's some variations of of what the SMART is, but you get the the general picture. Uh, it's a wonderful tool. That that's something you can teach people and help them because help them with grit. Because even as something with as simple as that is it will it'll say, okay, here's my goal. I got to keep my eye on the ball or, or in the right direction. And even when I stumble or I make a mistake, I still know I'm headed there. I, I just pick up and I'll go there. Remember, we talked about grit and resilience is bouncing forward. Yes. So we learned a lot more about resilience. We also learned that going back into business, uh, you know, for years we taught um, uh, total quality management. Uh, we taught uh, lean manufacturing. We taught Six Sigma how to be perfect, how to squeeze, how to be efficient and squeeze any errors out of the system. You know what? We built an economy. We built people that were not resilient. They were the, the opposite. They were fragile. Mm. Because when you have zero 
when you have zero room for error, there is no resilience. And And that's what became permission granted in the beginning of this pandemic was none of us has the answer. None of us has been in this situation. So let's try some things and figure them out. And so failure took on a really different meaning early on when our sole mission was to get people home, get them safe, and get them up and running on technology. Yeah. Well, think about here. Here's one thing you asked in the beginning is like, what do we keep from all this? Here's a lesson. Think about how much more authentic and transparent people are on on a video call. Now we're doing this audio, but on mm-hmm. video, uh, well, even you know, even if you do something live. But when you're all of a sudden, it became permissible to be in a t-shirt. More than that, it, be, yeah. it became it became permissible to have your child show up in your office on a yes. call. Remember, yeah. and now it's probably two years ago, I guess. Remember the English. Uh, he was he, the English like uh, CEO or uh, newscast, or I think he was on the news. I, I don't remember what his role was, but it was yeah. Yes. And his and his young child came in, and then the mother came running in after him. Yeah, it's like <laughs> oh, it's embarrassing. It's like you know, yeah. it made, now it's like hey, it's you. Oh, you're a human being. You're a parent. You have yeah. the same problems with your kids that I do. Uh, yes, it didn't matter yes. if you were a frontline worker that had a you were a, and had a high school education or you were a billionaire CEO, you had kids at home and you had disruptions and you had technology that didn't work and you fumbled around with stuff. And all of a sudden people came became much more authentic and transparent mm-hmm. to a fault almost because now people are saying whatever they want to say. I mean, you can take it to extremes, but sure. that sort of broke down that, you know, especially for many organizations, uh, people got more comfortable. They learned about other people and that, you know, which which is required to collaborate. So all this stuff feeds into it. It's not a single answer. Uh, it's going to keep evolving. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think that's hopefully that's a benefit that we carry forward with is, is the authenticity uh, and the uh, and transparency, which also leads in. And I know we want to talk about a couple other things, but, um, you know, on the adaptability. So we covered character, which was the personality. And and by the way, that does affect grit. Grit. Grit is is that goal, you know, focusing on the goal. Hey, if you're an introvert or an extrovert, how does that affect it? Because that's something we measure in, in the adaptability quotient. Um, mm-hmm. If you're an extrovert, you love to talk it out with other people. Hey, I have an idea. If you're an introvert, you want to figure it out yourself before I speak up. Let me think about that a little bit. Let me digest those ideas. It doesn't make it good or bad, but it absolutely does affect how you set goals and how you figure out, are they relevant? Is it measurable? How, who's it going to affect? Um, so, you know, there are there are disadvantages to extroverts because they spill their beans. <laughs> you know, they, they, they need to talk about everything out loud and they're not. And, and then introverts sometimes get, you know, get stuck in the rabbit hole because, oh, I'm not, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Um, so there are personality traits. Um, hope is another one on the character scale. Uh, if you're not a positive person, then, you know, having a growth mindset could be a little difficult. Um, you know, either, even um, a mental flexibility. What are the two best choices? Are you going to look at it as a skeptic, as a pessimist, or as a optimist? Um, it doesn't make you good or bad. 
but it does impact how you might be, how effective you might be at adapting. So it's important to understand your character, but it's it's the most difficult thing to change is is definitely your character. But if you could provide abilities, if if you had somebody who had some character. I won't say flaws because they're not flaws. It's not good or bad, but they have some character traits that might impact their willingness or their ability to adapt. If you could provide them the skills, which is the abilities, doesn't that provide them more confidence in moving forward? Doesn't that give them the courage? If they knew that even though they'd make a mistake, they had the willpower, they had the confidence that they could bounce back from that, then who cares if they're hopeful or extroverted? They have, they're now more confident and more courageous. And they do have evidence of success to, to build on, which is usually helpful. Yeah. The other thing with the self-awareness piece on understanding your character is not that you have to change your character, but find someone who has a complementary skill set that can help you see a different perspective. You know, if you don't necessarily trend towards the optimistic side, find someone who is, and then let that information kind of shape how you see something in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. One of my favorite questions, it came from when I was, I did my master's in leadership um, uh, a while ago, about 15 years ago. I went back, I went back, you talk about continuous learning. It's like, why, you you know, you're a successful business person, entrepreneur, you know, you've got a couple degrees already. Why are you going back for a master's in leadership? And because I wanted to get back in, what is I wanted the discipline of being able to do that. Um, but I also wanted to be in a group and learn from the cohort um, because I had people that were, I was an older baby boomer and there were pe- people older than me in the class. And then there were people in their 20s and 30s and from all around the world uh, that were participating. So uh, it was fun. But within that, there was a book that was brought up, which was called The Prepared Mind of a Leader. And what I loved about it, it, it broke down in, I won't go into all eight categories, but it broke down into questions when you make a decision. And one of the questions that stuck with me, and I'm I'm teaching, I'm actually teaching a graduate program in leadership right now. And I pulled this book out and I pulled out some of the questions that were really helpful to me. And one of the questions was, what aren't I seeing that I should? What am mm. I missing that I should what what am I not asking that I should be asking? And people go, well, how would I know that? Exactly. That's that's what you need to be aware of. And right. you brought up a great point. You know, we talk about collaborating with, uh, you know, with technology, collaborating with Google. Hey, that's interesting. Maybe I look it up and I learn something. But who else might have a different point of view? And this gets back to diversity and inclusion as well. Who thinks completely different than I do? You know, again, why I, I, you know, I give away my politics. I mean, my, my, my preference is not Fox news, but I do, but I do listen to it. Yeah. I do turn it on and I do learn. It's like, I didn't think of it that way. Now I can see what's on the other side. So you, you talk about what adaptability is much more than, oh, it's just the ability to change. I'm a flexible person and I can do it. No, is you may be flexible, but adaptability also requires you to be empathetic, to walk in the shoes of other people. It requires you to ask the questions that you might normally ask if you only hang around with people like you. And mm-hmm. that, that's 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 dangerous moving forward. That's not being well, acceptable. And, 
And even the algorithms on Facebook don't help us or other oh. social media because it just oh, it feeds you the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as it, the more we talk about technology and the more that comes forward in the conversation or the human skills that are needed, it just it's fascinating to me. And that that's really why humans, and that's why humans. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's, that's where right. you, but I get excited talking about. It. That's where yeah. humans. That's where humans need to be involved. We need to step up our game. So yes, we're going to have technology. Nobody's going to, the toothpaste is out of the tube. People are going to rely on it. And humans need to question those things. Is that when you're under, even something is Facebook, people say, well, I, I, that's why I don't use Facebook. No, go on yeah, Facebook you're not missing and, anything. <laughs> and, and learn how the algorithm skews the information. And then how can you teach other people to question that? Yes. You know, how, and yeah, how, how, and then at the higher levels, if you have that ability, how can, we're going to need humans to ensure that the information that is used to create an algorithm is not as biased because it's coming from humans, humans program yes. it. So that is we, a big yeah. thing on my mind. It starts, it starts and ends with a human, meaning it starts with the human creating the algorithm and ends with the human analyzing the results. But, so, yeah. yes, there's a lot we need to question about our own. But, but the answer effect. is, then you go, just look at the, the Congress every time they have a congressional hearing on technology. It's like, well, we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't allow them to do it. Well, if they're not going to do it, there's going to be some sinister organization. It's a, the toothpaste is out of the tube. We, we can't put it back in. What we have to learn how to be better at not controlling it or putting controls on it as far as what what are the ethics of doing this? Is there any bias? Anybody can say there's no bias if you don't ask the people who are being biased or being uh, discriminated against. You know, again, you can go back to racial inequality. It's yeah. like, yeah, let's go back to the 50s and 60s when it was a great country. That's when America was great. No, it wasn't. I grew up then. It was, in, <laughs> I look back, it was pretty embarrassing that I don't remember anybody being um, hung, but I do remember the Ku Klux Klan. I do remember sure. discrimination. It was only a few years past, um, you know, World War II. Uh, when six million people were killed, um, mm. yeah, there there are there were things that weren't so great back then. I always also even, well, from women um, in the sixties, and this is something people don't recognize when when they go back and go, hey, we want to go back there. Women needed their husband's approval to get credit. They needed their husband's approval to go on birth control. Wow. Uh, there was they. The Ivy League, there was not a sink in the early 60s, there was not a single Ivy League school that accepted women. That's unbelievable. Well, and just hearing that, I am reminded of how, how grateful I am and lucky to be in this era and how fired up I am to make sure that it continues in the right trajectory. Yeah, so going back so, going back to normal, depending on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, with just a few minutes left, I want to hit on, is there anything else on adaptability you wanted to talk about? Because yeah, I do want to hit on Googleization. Yeah, and I know we can cover that quickly, but I'd love to hear, because I know you shared it before, because yeah. from, from a user, can you share the experience you had? Uh, because we were talking about adaptability, how do we measure yes. when we have the adaptability quotient? So I had sent you a link, you had, you completed it. So tell, tell me and what the listeners, what your experience was like. Yeah, it was fantastic. And I and I am, as we all know, um, someone who gravitates towards and really likes technology. And so I was excited about it. It was um, what would could have been and would have been a survey that in 
in other forms would have taken me, you know, slogged through it, answered the hundred or so questions was actually fascinating. It was done with a bot. And so it just felt more like a conversation. I really liked the questions and the ways that way that it was phrased and caused me to think about what was being asked and not just give a rating. Um, and so I thought that was really well done. And at the end of it, the you know the bot said to me, "Okay, we've asked you about a hundred questions," and I, I was I was amazed. Um, and so it was so it was well constructed. The questions I thought were very insightful, and then the response, the actual assessment itself, gave me concrete information that I could then use to say, "Wait, is this what I want, or how do I go about affecting change on this score, my adaptability score?" Um, so I found it very fun and engaging, as well as insightful and useful. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and just for, for for everybody else there, the the report that you get, um, the online version, obviously you can download as a PDF, but, but yeah. the online version it says if I improve my resilience by ten percent, what does that do? How 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 well will I compare? Because ultimately it's saying how do you compare to other people as far as your ability to change? And then there's a, what we couldn't do with you because there was only one of you. Uh, yeah. if you had a team of if you had a team of people or you have an organization, we can actually aggregate all those scores and then there's a change readiness index. It says compared to other organizations, how well are you how ready are you to change to adapt and what areas need should you focus on for reskilling? Um, I think that's a powerful way for organizations to get their arms around what does this workforce need to elevate and and, and uh, move forward. So the team the team piece I would be a, a big fan of. <laughs> yeah, and it's very easy. As you said, I think it, the average length of taking people twenty six minutes of all the people we have thousands of people in there it takes about twenty six yeah. minutes to complete. Some people do it shorter, some people do it longer. Uh, but it, but yeah, rather than sitting down and having a list of a hundred questions with uh, you know multiple choice answers or you know I, I agree or disagree, um, the, the conversation. It, it, the, the scores are actually more authentic. People forget that they're taking an assessment. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, know, I so see they're, they're more accurate. So I appreciate Excellent. that. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Well, and thank you for g- giving me the chance to take it. Um, for la- the last topic, and then I'll ask about how folks can get in touch with you. But uh, tell me about Googleization. Yeah, Googleization. Uh, uh, real quick, I mean, we we basically have talked about that. Googleization is the it, the subtitle of uh, my my book called Geek Skeezers and Googleization was originally titled, titled The Wired, The Tired, and Technology. <laughs> and what it was is that we were dealing with, oh, you know, older people don't like technology, younger people only like technology, um, and, you know, they have different points of view. And the reality is, is that it, they all converge. Uh, there are baby boomers like myself who live and die on technology. There are young people that are not fascinated by technology. They're not glued to their smartphone. Um, so we, we have the, the really broader than the four or five generations that we have working at this simultaneously. We have the wired, we have the tired, and we have technology. And all those are impacting our lives. It's impacting business. What Googleization sort of evolved into was the convergence of people, technology, and business. And 
you know, that that's sort of what it is. I mean, we live in a life we it's a it's beyond the three legged stool. It's a it's three ingredients and and somebody's mixed them all up. We can't pull one out. Uh, we can't just say, let's focus on business this year. Well, you can't focus on business without people and technology. You can't focus on technology without people in business. Um, they all go around. And it's it, it, that's that's sort of what's coming back to roost. That's what sort of, you know, but my subtitle of my current book is when the shift hits your plan. Uh, yeah. And it, the shift hit our plan this year because people are still struggling with how do we become more diverse, more inclusive? How do we build company cultures? How do we keep the human and the H and HR, the human, you know, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we put humanity back in, in human resources, uh, technology accelerated, uh, businesses, um, there's businesses that are thriving and businesses that are going away. So yeah, right. all of those things, what Googleization is, is business technology and people. Excellent. Well, and we're right at the intersection of it, and I'm excited to see where we go after this incredible shared global experience that we've had, and and I'm ready to get there sooner rather than later. But with that said, I appreciate your time today. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to find you? Oh uh, well, one is you can type in Ira Wolf into Google. I'll probably pop up, but you can my web my company website is Success Performance Solutions. Uh, you can also go to irawolf.com. That's I-R-A-W-O-L-F-E. But I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Google, um, Instagram, Facebook. Excellent. Yeah, you, you can you can find me. And uh, hopefully people will connect with me for sure. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, learn more about adaptability in your new book. So a lot of fun things coming up for you in this new year. I'm excited. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> and stay safe, everybody. And uh, uh, 2021 will definitely be a better year for sure there we go that adaptability and optimism coming right through thanks ira i appreciate your time thanks very much Sam. thanks for listening to this episode for more information and to contact us visit www.humansoptimized.com